0: Mike Lee is making it to November. Are you pretty surprised?
1: Oh, uh, shocked. No, actually, uh, not surprised at all.
2: Good morning and welcome back to The Daily Buzz. I'm Sage Miller, your host. And in a blink of an eye, the polls are closed on Utah's 2022 primary elections. If you're a politics wonk like us, you probably spend Tuesday evening glued to the computer awaiting the latest election updates on anticipated races. We don't know the outcomes of all the races just yet. So Tribune Politics Editor Jeff Parrott and columnist Robert Gerke break down what we know about the primaries so far.
0: Robert Gerke, it's been a long night so far. Thanks for joining us.
1: Uh, Happy to be here. Thank you.
0: So we're checking in from the Salt Lake Trib newsroom. We've been covering the election all night. First big news uh, comes out of the U.S. Senate race. Mike Lee is making it to November. Are you pretty surprised?
1: Oh, uh, shocked! No, actually, uh, not not surprised at all. Um, You know, it's always hard to beat an incumbent. And despite having two pretty solid challengers in Becky Edwards and Ali Isom, I think they were always going to split the vote against him. And and that makes it really hard for both of them to raise money and get their message out and really threaten an incumbent senator like Mike Lee, who has a lot of resources and name recognition already. So this one was this one was, uh, I think, Mike's to lose from the get go.
0: With Becky and Allie in the rearview mirror now, Mike's looking at November, uh, where he has an independent challenger and not a Democrat. I think you did hear from Evan McMullen's team tonight.
1: Yeah, the campaign put out a statement. He's trying to obviously capitalize on that 39% or, you know, 35 to 39%. We'll see where the numbers end up of Mike Lee, of of Republicans who did not vote for Mike Lee, those people who voted for Becky Edwards and Ali Isom. Those are the people that Evan can probably or potentially recruit to his uh, to his campaign. So he was reaching out to the frustrated, the discouraged uh, who who want to join his cause. Um, and it's an interesting play. I mean, the the polling uh, that we've seen from the Hinckley Institute has it about four to six point lead for Lee in a head to head matchup. So, you know, there's there's the potential that this has uh, the makings of a really good race come November.
0: I do remember Evan asking Democrats for their support uh, just a couple months ago at the convention. Is it going to be hard to make that transition now to uh... Looking at a wider group of voters.
1: Yeah, there's no question he's walking a tightrope, right? He's got to he's got to try to make Democrats comfortable that he's uh, that he's liberal enough without alienating conservatives. It's a it's a tough road. It's why we've not really seen it done in the past. Um, but you know, I think uh, I think there's the potential there for him to cobble this coalition together. I mean, what it is is it's uh, disaffected Republicans. Uh, a good chunk of the uh, independents, and then, you know, presumably the bulk of the Democrats. And so that's, that's the recipe he's got to try to put together between now and November.
0: No real changes in the U.S. House races either. All four incumbents are off to November. Um, Anything we can learn from those races?
1: Well, I mean, I think the, the, the one big glaring takeaway, I think is that, you know, John Curtis, uh, once again, going against Chris Herod, Came out of the convention with 45% of the uh, of the vote and ended up trouncing Herod again in in the you know in the primary. Um, it kind of shows that when Republicans get to vote in large numbers, as opposed to the the de- giving power to the delegates, you end up with a very different result. Blake Moore, kind of a similar story. He you know he was given a run for his money by Andrew Badger and Tina Cannon at convention. Uh, kind of blew him away when it came to t- time to the uh, when it came to the primary so you know I, you have this phenomenon where you, as you mentioned you had uh, both Moore and Curtis being challenged by more conservative opponents you had Stewart and Owens being challenged by more moderate opponents at the end of the day uh, incumbency is really hard to overcome and uh, and we saw that play out here
0: anything we can learn about the GOP in the direction of the GOP the next six months?
1: Well, I think, I don't know that we're going to necessarily see it play out in the next six months because, um, you know, the, these, these four candidates presumably now are going to coast to a, a general election victory. They do have opponents, but the, the way these districts have been gerrymandered, it's, it's almost impossible for any of them to lose. So I don't think we're going to see a big reckoning come, you know, between now and November. But I do think that raises a really interesting question about why do these candidates even bother going to the convention in some cases, because they just don't matter at the end of the day. For a candidate like John Curtis, who has repeatedly, you know, been slapped around at the convention and then coasted to victory, there's there's a you know you reach a point. Why do you bother doing it? Why looking ahead, does somebody like Mitt Romney want to put himself through that again? And so I think that's what we're going to be watching for.
0: Or the debates. I don't think Burgess Owens showed up for one
1: debate here in the state this year. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. It showed that you don't really have to participate to win. <laughs> and 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 Burgess Owens did did opt out. I mean, he was barely seen in the entire district for the uh for the dependency of this uh of this race he was in. Uh and Jay Cunsaker tried to, you know, make hay of that and he called him a coward and so forth, but it it just um it just didn't it didn't matter. Incumbency again is just a it's it's a, a, a steep, steep hill to climb if you're going to overcome that.
0: We've still got a couple of days before we could get maybe the bulk of the legislature races here in the state kind of figured out, but I think we've already seen a couple upsets or some pending upsets, uh, especially here in Salt Lake County.
1: Yeah, um, I was I was surprised to see that Gene Davis appears to have lost to Nate Bluen. Uh, Nate's a young up and comer. Gene is the longest serving uh, member of the legislature. He's been in there since 86. Uh, and, and this one wasn't really all that close. Um, Stephanie Pitcher uh, won the House uh, Senate seat 14, um, Senate District 14, and and she won that fairly comfortably. And, and the consensus from people I was talking to before was that that one was gonna be real competitive. Um, there are still some races out there that we're watching. Um, You know, it looks like most of the incumbents are going to hang on. Uh, Kelly Miles seems to be one that is probably going down to defeat to to Katie Hall. Uh, And and there's one up in Cache County between Val Potter and Mike Peterson that's real close. The Derek Kitchen-Jen Plum race in in Salt Lake City is uh, real tight. This is a rematch from four years ago when they... Uh, fought to about a 400 point margin, and Derek won it. So we'll we'll keep watching some of these. I think we're going to have to wait a, a week, maybe two weeks, before some of these uh, some of these races become clear. The other one that kind of surprised me, frankly, was uh, Representative Jeff Stenquist appears to be holding on to a lead against Carolyn Fippin. And and the consensus again among the political types I talked to was that. Fippen was probably a favorite to win that, but you know, again, still votes to be counted. But right now, it looks like uh, it looks like Stenquist is in a better position. And finally, I think
0: we are probably going to see by the end of the night. Um, and now in, in time for listeners, on um, Wednesday morning results in the Utah County attorney race where David Levitt was running for re-election. That race in the last month or so has turned in may- to maybe one of the most bonkers races I can think of in
1: you, at least recent Utah history. Well, I mean, David came into it with some baggage. Uh, you know, I think his, his op- uh, opposition to the death penalty was probably... A liability for him. He's a big justice reformer, which probably doesn't play all that well in Utah County. He made an enemy of the law enforcement in the county, uh, both the police departments and the and the sheriff. So he came in with those liabilities. But then this uh, this uh, this rumor, this uh, that he responded to by denying that he is in a ritual sex ring and that he was a cannibal, was just sort of. So bizarre and surreal that it was hard to imagine. Um, I don't think that was necessarily the, the, you know, the the final straw or the stake in his heart, but I think it it certainly didn't help him. And, you know, we see Jeff Gray with the support he had from people like the Attorney General. Uh, the former House Speaker, Greg Hughes, and others, uh, he won that one by uh, a, a pretty surprising margin, uh, you know, you know, better than two to one. So um, so it looks like Jeff Gray is going to be the next county attorney in Utah, and David Leavitt will, I guess, move on to his next, uh, next adventure in life.
0: Robert, thanks for hanging out with us so late tonight.
2: Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks, guys. The Tribune's politics team will continue to keep a close eye on races until all the votes are tallied. Next, Tribune Women's Issues reporter Becky Jacobs highlights two major updates on Utah's abortion laws.
3: A Utah law banning abortion after 18 weeks of pregnancy is now in effect. Back in 2019, the Utah legislature passed the 18-week abortion ban, but it was blocked by a judge while a lawsuit made its way through the courts over the last few years, and attorneys waited for an abortion ruling expected from the U.S. Supreme Court. Last Friday, that ruling came. The Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, leaving abortion access to the states. As a result, Utah's trigger law banning most abortions went into effect. But on Monday, a judge issued a temporary restraining order on the trigger law, blocking enforcement for two weeks. In the meantime, the federal case around Utah's 18-week ban was dismissed, and it is now in effect. The law bans abortions after 18 weeks, except to protect the life of the mother— or the fetus has a uniformly lethal defect or severe brain abnormality or in the cases of rape and incest, but the rape or incest has to be reported to law enforcement. And that's not the only news on abortion in Utah. Even though Utah's trigger law is currently on hold, One lawmaker is proposing revisions to an abortion exception. As of now, the trigger law requires a person to report their rape or incest to law enforcement before they are able to get an abortion. Most women who are raped do not report their assault to the police, though. That's why Representative Jennifer Daly Provo wants to broaden the list of where sexual assaults can be reported in order to get an abortion. On Tuesday, the Democratic representative said she plans to reintroduce a bill that would allow rape to also be legally reported to crisis centers, domestic violence resource centers, and physicians.
2: And that's it for The Daily Buzz. Today's episode was edited by me, Sage Miller, and as always, a hearty thank you to the Pelicans for our music. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the biggest headlines of the day.